You're listening to the Calvary Catechism Podcast, where we seek to defend doctrine, dispel deception, and develop disciples. This is the first episode of season number three, and in this season, we are going to dive into some difficult doctrines, and we begin this whole season talking about the Trinity, that God is one being in three persons. Let's dive into it together. Welcome back, everybody. Season number three. This is take number three. Oh, man. Look at that. Look at that. So, and, and, and that's going to really tie into yeah. what we're talking about later. Yeah. So uh, we just tried to do two different takes, and then I cut both of them off, and now this is number three. Yeah. So Trace. I don't know what you're about to get in this episode, but we're going to try. <laughs> we're, we're here for it, I think. Have you ever met somebody who is a third? You know, like whatever. Like a third wheel? Sure. Um, no, they're 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 legit like a third, like David the third, mm. but they go by Trey. No, I've never met anybody like that in my life. I just met somebody of like that at my and 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 I'm shout out to you, Trey. He's a good close friend of mine, but that threw me off. And I'm like, your name's Trey. He's like, yeah, because I'm a third. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So before we get f- too derailed, we are going to kick off with our question. Which, if you're new to the podcast, my name is Kenny, and this is Travi B. And uh, we like to start off these episodes with a fun question, just so we can get the banter out of the way. As you can tell, we like to banter, so we try to get get it out of the way and then move into the meat of the episode, right? Meat. I love meat. Yeah, we do both like meat. Uh, I just had a brisket yesterday that was a little dry, but it was still better than no brisket. Yeah. yeah. Well, is, is bad brisket better than no brisket? That's a solid Should question. Should that be our question of the day? Oh, man. I, I had a better a, question, but no, that that's a more good of question. a debate. Yeah. We'll talk about that another time. All right, so the question for today is this. If you can remember, how old were you when you first learned that there wasn't a Santa Claus, and how did that go? Oh, man. Um, I had to have been that, 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 probably like six or seven, I guess-ish. We're going to, that's a solid-ish at the end, because I don't really remember, but... Yeah, I, I found toys in the closet, and I started, I found some presents, and... I don't really know where this story is going, just a disclaimer. <laughs> I found toys in the closet, and and for those who know me, and Kenny included, I, I confronted my mom, because of my personality, and um, I was like, yo, like, what's up with this? Like... Like, did he come early or something? Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, like is this like like Amazon one-day delivery? Did she lie to you about Santa Claus no, in that moment? my mom's a horrible liar. That's good. Even That's as good. a six-year-old. No, she tried. That's, but Okay. No, no, no. I'm not saying that she didn't lie. I'm saying she's a bad liar. So <laughs> that she just looked at she looked at me like she was shocked. You know, it was like, oh, my goodness. And even yeah, as a six-year-old. I, I don't know what you do as a parent in that moment. Just saying. Well, you just don't even begin walking down that road probably (laughs) that's what i mean i would take a step back that's a leftovers episode should we tell our kids about Santa Claus? so i i asked that question because i have a story that i really wanted to share uh, and i'll keep it quick i'll try to anyway because it's so good (laughs) we were my family was out eating the other night and uh uh at at the table across from us at the booth across from us 
there was a family, and the best I can tell, this is my assumption based on the information I was gathering, the best I can tell, it was the dad and his daughter, and potentially the dad's, like, now girlfriend, maybe, and the the dad's girlfriend was talking to the daughter and said something about uh, Santa Claus not being real, and the daughter... The girlfriend said that? Yeah, and the daughter, who's like seven or eight, sure, starts melting down, <laughs> like... <laughs> In the middle, in the middle of the restaurant, actually, this was um, uh, the loop uh, is where we were. In the middle of the loop, like she's melting down, and the girlfriend's trying to recover, and she's like, "Oh no, 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 no! I wasn't saying that Santa Claus is not real. I was saying that like this one in the picture is not real. That like this one, like this is not the real Santa Claus because the real Santa Claus he lives at the North Pole." <laughs> and she like. She's trying so hard to recover because, you know, she just ruined this family's, like, special Christmas tradition that they oh, have. Oh, my goodness. Oh, uh, it was not. It was it was uncomfortable but funny at the same time, and oh, I felt hilarious. so bad for her, too. That's a last so. date. Yeah. That's yeah. probably, like, a new relationship. Again, it had to have been a last again, date. Again, it was my—part that of my assumption why is maybe the girlfriend is, like, she didn't know that this girl did not believe in Santa Claus still. Obviously. So I, I can't imagine that's actually the girl's mom. Yeah. At that point, the yeah. cat's essentially out of the bag. Yeah. yeah. Daddy's just got to rock with it. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> I don't know. There's no segue. Um, <laughs> let, let that season, statement. Season three. <laughs> uh, that's it. I don't know. Season three. Oh, actually, there is a segue. Yeah, I was going to say. kind of lead me into it. You know it. All right. So, in season three, we're going to talk about difficult things, like having to tell your kids there's no Santa Claus. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, things that's that, hard. Things that maybe you believed but believed wrongly, things that maybe you've never believed. We're going to talk about difficult doctrines, Woo! and we're kicking it off with kind of just a softball in, in the Trinity, because it's so easy, and easy to understand, easy to talk about. We just, yeah, you agree with that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. I mean, so, season three, three, three and three, Trinity three. That, that, that was my connection. Okay. That's the connection. Much, much more simple than what you just said. No, I, I went a different route. <laughs> yeah, that was still good. Um, all right. So that's what we're doing. We're going to talk about difficult doctrines, things that the church maybe for a long time has, has misunderstood or, or we talk about wrongly or maybe just flat out don't believe correctly. Um, and we're going to talk about some other conversations that aren't, don't necessarily fit those categories, but they're just difficult, like eschatology. Um, and w- I, I hope that you stay tuned this season for that, because that's going to be a lively conversation. Who knows how many parts we're going to have to have to eschatology. What we're going to try to do is go through all of the different views of eschatology in that example um, and lay them out for you and not try to take too hard of a stance necessarily, I think is the plan. Maybe we'll study and realize that we have it all figured out and then we'll get more firm on it, but I doubt doubt that's going to happen. Yeah, me too. All right, so we are going to talk about the Trinity today, um, and that is, that's, I mean, this is really just a conversation about what is the Trinity, why do we believe it, and why does it matter um, is really the angle that that we want to take. The good news for me is that I've been in the middle of this study pretty deeply for the past few months. Our church, uh, as of recording this episode, is going through a series on the Trinity. We're kind of halfway through that. Um, And so I I got a lot of information in my head that I want to go through, I'm sure. But we're going to let the conversation just kind of grow on its own. And um, I'm going to let Travis start it off because you just turned a lot of pages to get to something. And I feel like you're ready to just kick us off today. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Feelings lead people astray. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Don't let your feelings dictate 
dictate your life, folks. Um, All right, so let's do this. Can you can you in one sentence tell me what the doctrine of the Trinity is? One sentence. One sentence. We believe that there is one God who reveals himself in three persons. He is three persons. Right. One God, three persons. Right. Now, so there's a reason that I asked Travis to do that. Number one, just so you understand where we're going, but also to let you know kind of what you saw him do right there. Language and the words that you use when you talk about the Trinity is very, very, very important. Yeah, I had to correct myself even. Yeah. Yeah, right yeah. there I was like, God, reveal. no, there's one God, he is three yes. persons. Yes. There, he doesn't reveal himself in three persons. I, 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 I misspoke. I was going to correct you, but in you the corrected episode. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> one God, three persons. And and that's the thing. Um, that is that is so easy to do in this conversation about the Trinity is to say something that sounds right, but ultimately leads to a heresy. Bad heresy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, let's, let's maybe start here. Why is the doctrine of the Trinity important? I think that's an easy place to start. Yeah, well, I would say, first of all, if we get the doctrine of the Trinity wrong, we misrepresent who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and who God is, which all of them are God, so we misrepresent God mm-hmm. when we uh, get the Trinity wrong. I think that... Um, uh, a starting point that I was thinking of in my head was, where do we even get this from? I think I think that a really important question to go back to and to lean on is like, why do we even believe what we're talking about right now? And it's our argument and it's our conviction that if you hold to a historical, grammatical, literal uh, hermeneutic, which is a how do you translate and how do you interpret the Bible? How do we understand the Bible? If you apply a literal, historical, grammatical approach to your interpretation of the Bible, if you're honestly looking for the original author's intent, then you have to come to the conclusion of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. That's where it comes from. So you're like, well, wh- why do you believe what you believe? Because the Bible teaches it. And when the Bible teaches something, and when you are trying to interpret and read and understand the Bible, and it comes to the conclusion that Jesus is God, God the Father is God, and the Holy Spirit's God, we just have to believe what it says. Yeah. So why do we believe this? Because it's our conviction, and that's what we're going to try to argue from this point forward, that the Bible teaches it. Therefore, we have to believe it. Yeah, I, I want to share two quotes that I stumbled upon. Uh, James White, by the way, is a terrific resource in this conversation about the Trinity. He wrote a book on the Trinity, which the title is escaping me. Do you know it off the top of your head? The Forgotten Trinity. The Forgotten Trinity, correct. Um, James White said two things uh, as to why the Trinity is important that I wanted to kind of kick us off with. He said, if we do not understand the doctrine of the Trinity, our worship is hobbled and decrepit. And he also said, the Trinity is the highest revelation God has made of himself to his people. And so what I told our church in the first week of our series on this is the reason this is important is because we get to know God. Amen. And is, is there anything more practical, is there anything more important than knowing who God is? Mm. Like God has revealed himself to us, and for us to say the Trinity doesn't matter is to say, God, I don't want to know you. 
I know that's not what we're trying to say because we're trying to avoid a difficult doctrine and we're trying to just say, I, I want this to be simple. I, I just want to love you, God. And, and, and I think in a lot of places, maybe our heart is, is right for the most part. But really what we're saying is, God, I don't want to know you in the way that you've revealed yourself. I want to know parts of how you've revealed yourself, but I don't really want to dig deep into this. Right. Yeah. So... Yeah, so I think a, a helpful place to start is the old classic Sunday school explanation of the Trinity in that no example, no story, no parable, no analogy, nothing can explain and truly grasp in its 100% completeness the Trinity. Right. Like, we're not going to be able to sit here and have a podcast in 2021, nope. an episode, and say, all right, guys, at the end of this, we're going to say, we nailed it, that's it, you guys should have complete, um, uh, a complete comprehensive understanding of this. You should be able to apprehend it at the end of this episode, because a child can. Right. But to fully comprehend it, we're never going to be able to do that. And many people throughout uh, church history have tried to create analogies, um, they tried to create examples, which have led to, um, I mean, damnable heresies, mm -hmm. to the point of um, the sun. The sun is a really common example. People say, "Hey, look at the sun, and you'll understand the Trinity." The sun itself is like God the Father. The the the, the light that it exhibits, that 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 it comes from, that you can see is Jesus, and the warmth that you feel is the Holy Spirit. Which, there's a whole lot of things wrong with that, by the way. Um, not just in the, tr the nature of the Trinity, but yeah, I mean, we can go into all the things that are wrong about that, but there's a lot more I wanted to get into, and so I would just simply say this, and this is something, honestly, that I had to be corrected in, in, in myself when I was studying the Trinity, even recently, is if you are trying to come up with a, an example of the Trinity, you're probably in danger of heresy. Um, there is nothing on earth that comes close to representing the Trinity because even in the language of the Trinity itself, God is one being. In that word being, we're talking about Put a, a different we're talking about a different being than us as beings or anything else on this earth as a being, an animal, or whatever you want to you want to use as as an example. God is is other. He's holy, he's separate, he's apart, right? Mm -hmm. So what I often say is it's not when you think about God, it's not as if you have animals and then the next tier is humans and then the next tier is angels and then the next the next tier is God. It's everything that has been made in one category and God in his own category by himself. He's right. different. Yes, we are made in his image. I'm not trying to take away from that. But that's in his image. Right. Not we're not we're not from his being, from his nature like the son is from the father, okay? Right. Right. So, um, let, let me do this, and then we can start maybe getting into some passages. Um, another helpful thing for you to do, if you want to get the language of the Trinity right, uh, two, two creeds, and you may not like the creeds, you may think they're outdated and old, but I, I have consistently gone back to these to make sure that my language is right. I, I often say they're like the, the bumpers at the bowling alley, right? That if I'm rolling my ball down the aisle trying to get the language of the Trinity right, if I'm starting to veer off into heresy, the creeds bring me back to what's true and proper, what's biblical, okay? We don't, we don't bring the creeds to the level of Scripture, but they do help us interpret Scripture, I would say. So the Athanasian Creed and the Nicene Creed are two that I would highly recommend. The Athanasian Creed, a part of it, because it's pretty long, says this, we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity. 
neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence or being. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity, the being of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. Um, so that, that's a, that is a statement. I understand there's a lot there, but that is a statement that very simply, uh, and I say simply in terms of briefly and succinctly, explains the Trinity to us. Right. Um, so now, let's start getting into, you asked the question earlier, where do we see this? Where do we get the idea of Trinity from? You said, okay, you got to read the scriptures and, and interpret them correctly. Okay, I get that. Some people think that they're reading and interpreting correctly, but they're not. So where do you see this in the scripture? Let's, let's go there. Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, it's riddled all throughout the scriptures. So we, it's, it's when you read the Bible, you're confronted with the truths of the Trinity. And, and right from the beginning, right from Genesis 1, we see and we're introduced to the assumption, even, mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. Like, God is presupposed in the beginning. Like, God has always been. There, there, there was never a time where God was not. So right in the beginning, we get in, introduced to God. And, and even within that first chapter, um, we can't sit there and stake all of our arguments and our ground in, what is it, for, uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, talking about? Yeah. Let us make man Let in our image. Let us make yeah. man in our image, the, 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 the plural pronouns there. You um, have our image. Image is singular, and our obviously is plural. So even in that one, in the, in the Hebrew language, you're seeing there's something, there's a being, God is a being that is, that is one, and yet he's plural at the same time. Right. Yeah. So, so, so right from the get-go, and, and it's been extremely clear all throughout the Bible that God made man in his image. It actually... Uh, just a couple verses later in Genesis 1, it, it literally says, and then God made man in his image, back to the singular. Yep. So we're introduced to this plural, this plurality within the within the Godhead, yet the singular nature of God, the, the one in multiple. But we, we get a little taste of it then, but when we get into the New Testament, we, and particularly in the book of John, when you're reading through the book of John, um, honestly... It's really hard to read through it. A natural read through, no presuppositions. You're just reading through the book. Maybe you're a brand new Christian and you don't really know anything about the Bible. You just want to read it. Mm-hmm. And the, the statements, the claims that Jesus Christ is making about himself, yep. they're they're kind of jaw dropping because we know we know that there's only one God. Yep. The Bible teaches explicitly that there's only one God. Mm-hmm. Yet Jesus is claiming to be God. Mm-hmm. And right there, it, unless we're polytheists, we have a problem, <laughs> right? And and that is where we're going to start staking our ground. So I think that the very first place that we start, and we have a conversation today, is in the deity of Jesus Christ, because I think that's where it starts. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say that I think... I think I can be correct in saying this. Again, this is this is a hard conversation. It is. I, it, it really is. And and I'm please. I'm not trying to come at it. I know Travis is not kind of trying to come at it, saying we're the best people that you should listen to on this. We're not. Um, <laughs> Let me actually say we're not the best people. We know that we're not. 
Go uh, read James White's book. Yeah, I mean, we want to point you to resources. I'm going to name two of them, and, and I really hope I remember. I'm so bad at this, and I apologize. I really hope I remember to put in the show notes some links to resources um, on this. But, uh, you know, I would say that you cannot— I don't believe that we would know of the Trinity apart from Jesus, uh, apart from the Son— incarnate, revealing God the Father to us. I mean, it's clear in Scripture that Jesus reveals the Father to us, that we could not know the Father unless the Son has revealed Him to us, okay? And so, and then, you know, the Father and the Son send the Spirit, and so we would not know ultimately the Spirit uh, the way that we're supposed to apart from Jesus and His work. So, that's, we have to start there. We have to go to the life of Jesus. We have to go to the teachings of Jesus. And I would agree, John, the, the Gospel of John is... I mean, it's like a book on the Trinity, really, mm-hmm. all throughout. Chapter 5 specifically is a great place to go. Chapters uh, 14 through 16 really can be a, a, a doctrine, a, a doctrinal dissertation of the Trinity in, in so many ways uh, in, the, in the teachings of Jesus. So that is a great place to go. I do want to bring up one other verse that really... I've always known that this is a great verse to talk about the Trinity, but I never realized how powerful it was and how how plain it was until studying for this. And it's a verse that you probably know. It's Matthew 28, 19, when Jesus said to the disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, mm. of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So three names, but Jesus says the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He does, not, he does not say the names. It's not plural in the Greek either. So that, that right there indicates that you've got, you've got one being expressed in three persons. But let's begin to talk about Jesus and how Jesus himself has revealed the Trinity to us and how we can know the Trinity because of the deity of Christ. Do you have something you want to start us off with? Or? Yeah, so I think um, there's a couple places. I'll start here and then you can jump on one. Uh, John chapter 14. Uh, in John chapter 14, I was uh, there's, there's two places where recently, it was uh, last year, um, in seminary I'm going through Greek, and I'm learning Greek, and I'm in Greek 3 right now, and I was translating the Greek in John 14, and um, it was, the, there was uh, a couple times in this, this, this section particularly, in John 14, when I was translating it, and when you're, when, when you're translating it from the Greek into the original, into English, you're like, it's, it's so weird because you're reading verses that you've read for years. Like, I, I know John 14, mm-hmm. but obviously in the Greek, I don't know it. And you're sending there translating it, so you're, 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 you're hanging on every single word, and you don't actually know, like, what is this verse? I kind of know the verse, I don't know the verse, and you're like battling back and forth, you're like... But it's really making you hang on to every single word because yeah. you don't, you, you can't just go off of memory, right? And you're just sitting there reading it. And while I was translating it, reading it in, in its original language, I was floored. And I've always been a, a, a Trinitarian evangelical Christian, if you will. I mean, the Trinity, right? You're taught that growing up. I, I completely believe it. But when I read this in its original language, I got blown away. Like I started to look around and. I legit went to people and said, Jesus is God. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was floored. Like he said straight up, yo, I'm God. Yeah. And let's just look at it. 
in starting in verse one, just because it's so good. Uh, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know that where I am going. Ooh, there it is. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. So we see this interesting connection. If you have known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Mm-hmm. And here it is. And Philip said to him, this is incredible, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. The word there for enough is just sufficient. Like, I will be satisfied if you just show us the Father. You're, you're telling us we've seen the Father? Oh, just show us. And it, it just, he, he tees him up here for verse 9. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip. I get the chills when I read that. He, 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 like, you see me, Philip. Have you not been with me and seen me this long, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Mm. How can you say he showed us the Father? Mm. This is incredible. Wow. And and I'm sorry. I don't want to interrupt you at all. But something interrupt something me. really just struck me that I don't think has struck me before is what Jesus is saying there. Jesus, when Philip says, show us the Father. I love that. Jesus says, you know, have I been with you so long and you still not, you still don't know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's not saying, I am the Father. Mm -mm. That's an important distinction. Because they're not, they're they're separate. They are separate persons. He's saying, I'm, I'm with you because I am one being with the Father. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father because you've seen God. You have seen fully God. You can see me even though I'm not the Father and have seen, seen the Father, seen God because I am one with the Father. I mean, this is, this is incredible. This is, not just, this is not just Jesus saying, I'm God. This is actually Jesus declaring the Trinity to us. Yes, he is clearly saying, I am God, but he's also declaring the Trinity to us. He's giving us that distinction there, very particular language that Jesus isn't saying, I'm the Father. He's saying, I'm God, and I am one with the Father. That's a, man, I, I had not seen that in that passage before until you were just reading through that. So, um, so thank you for reading that passage, by the way. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I mean, there, as we read throughout the scriptures, I think one of the most important I think one of the most important uh, sections of John that really talks about um, the deity of Jesus, apart from this one, I mean, we can talk for the rest of the episode just on the deity of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. But I think uh, one that you have to go to is uh, when Christ is having a conversation with uh, the Jewish people and the Pharisees, and he makes this claim um, where he says, before Abraham was... I am. I am. Yeah. So we're going to read that scripture. Where exactly is that in John? Uh, I don't, I actually don't have that reference. I think you were looking at my screen thinking I had that. I, I have another 
uh, statement he was making to the Pharisees. But you can look that up while I talk about this, actually, because I want you to talk about the Abraham passage. Another thing that he was saying to the Jewish people in John chapter 5, um, and this is really, this is a very clear statement to his deity as well, when Jesus said, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Not necessarily uh, this derived part of life from the Father, but the Son has life in himself. So when we talk about Jesus being the begotten Son of God, it's not as if Jesus had a beginning. He's, he's eternal. He has life in himself the same way that, the, or, or in the same sense that the Father does, but there's a, there's a distinction made in their relation to one another that the Son is begotten of the Father. He is the Son of the Father, but that doesn't take away from his deity. It doesn't take away from his, his eternality because he very clearly says, just as the Father has life in himself, he is, he is assay, the aseity of God. Mm. Look it up. I wish we could talk maybe further about that, but the aseity of God is an important doctrine here. Um, as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So again, the Trinity, the Son, the Son is, is begotten of the Father because the Father grants him to have life, but it's not as if the Son does not have life in himself because he does. Uh, and so... Again, this is, my head hurts. Yours probably does too. There's so much here. But Jesus, people say all the time, Jesus never plainly said, I am God. Right. Okay? Um, he didn't say those exact words, I am God. Okay? I'll, I'll, I'll concede that. But he very clearly claimed to be God. You cannot read these statements and say Jesus is not declaring to be God. Matter of fact, this is why the Pharisees wanted him dead. Because he was claiming to be God. I mean, the scripture says that. He's, he's claiming to be God, and so they wanted to kill him because of it, because they thought it was blasphemy. And so for us to just say he's not claiming to be God is to be ignorant of the things that Jesus actually said, um, because he very clearly did claim to be God himself. Now, other people claim that Jesus was God. In John's gospel, uh, very clearly, we have, in the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus. You see later in that passage, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, Okay. The word, the word is God. Jesus is God. Very clear statement there from John himself, and Jesus' statements of himself are clear as well. So, so uh, one of the the biggest, uh, the golden goose, if you will, of this entire argument is found in uh, John chapter eight, and in order to get to its context, it's Exodus chapter three. We're going to be reading a lot of scripture here, so we can kind of go back and forth talking about. The scripture that we read. So in Exodus chapter three, we uh, we have Moses who is uh, living with his father-in-law uh, Jethro. Uh, he's uh, his father-in-law was actually a priest in Midian, and uh, this was after he uh, Moses had killed an Egyptian um, after watching the Egyptian uh, taskmaster beat his people. And he, uh, after he killed the Egyptian, he ducked out, ran to the mountains, got married, lived with his father-in-law, was chilling there for a minute. And while he's hanging out uh, with his new family, we uh, have here in chapter 3 of verse 1 of Exodus, says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And... The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. 
He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. I mean, yeah, that would be pretty sick, right? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said to him, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So right off the bat, we know for a fact that the one, the burning bush, was God. The one true yeah. God. Yep. Can I, I'll yeah, just say something. You, you read earlier at the beginning of that passage, he's called the angel of the Lord. Um, and so something we may not talk a ton about, I don't know if you were going there, uh, because we don't have time to talk about every aspect of this, but in the Old Testament, when you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, uh, but when you see the angel of the Lord, most of the time, that is a pre-incarnate Christ. That is Jesus in the Old Testament, literally. And so most scholars would agree that who is speaking to Moses is the person of the Son through the burning bush, okay? God himself is speaking. So it says earlier, it's an angel of the Lord, but then it goes right quickly to say, God, Elohim, but it also says here in the next verse, in verse 7, you're about to read, the Lord, which is Yahweh, okay? Yahweh. So if this really is Jesus, then this is Yahweh as well. So this is the person of Jesus, but, th- but Jesus is God, and he's speaking to Moses. Amen. So Yahweh is the uh, Israelite name for God. Yep. God the Father, the one true God. It's where we get Jehovah from. It's the most butchered yeah. Word ever. Jehovah's Witnesses prove us wrong. Yeah. Then the Lord said, then Yahweh said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the people... Uh, the cry of the people of Israel have come to me, and ha- I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, and you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, uh, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, so now we got the whole context. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers have sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Why, Kenny, is, before we get to John 8, why is the name I Am so significant to God? <laughs> you just ask easy questions, Travis. <laughs> uh, very simple questions. Straightforward. I said it earlier, because God, God is, and you don't have to put anything else after that. God is. God is. Yeah. We cannot say that about ourselves. This is another illustration I used in one of my sermons, right? You can describe me and you can say, you know, I'm, I'm six foot two, you know, I'm, I've got brown eyes. You can describe me however you want. But uh, that, those things, those things are, are things that you maybe need to describe me, but those things 
are not necessarily tied to my nature, if that makes sense. So, so I'm not who I am because I'm six foot two. Right. Okay. Right. But when we talk about God, we say God is. Now we can add things to that. We can say God is love. He doesn't just possess love. Not love as God, but God is love. God is holy. God is righteous. God is mercy. All of those things that Scripture declares about him, right? right. Those things are, are tied to his nature because he, he is. There's a doctrine here that's crucial to, crucial to the Trinity called divine simplicity. So God's not made up of parts, right? Like he's not, you can't say, well, God's partly love and he's partly right. just and he's partly right. holy. No, right. no, he is all of those things. He's simple. He's not made up of parts, which is important to the Trinity because Jesus is not a part of God. The Holy Spirit is not a part of God. The Father is not a part of God. He's a simple being in the sense that he's not made up of parts. He's one. Right. He is who he is. He's different. Right? So simple, not in the terms of like he's, you know, he's easy to understand, right. but simple in that he's not broken up into parts. So this is, this is the doctrine of divine simplicity right here. God saying, I am who I am. Amen. God is. God is. I, 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 would, I would just add to that. Um, that's really good. Um, he's different. Holy means set apart and unique. God, when talking to Moses, understood the limitations of a finite mind. He understood the limitations of uh, Moses here who just he couldn't fully comprehend who God is. So when he says, hey, who are you? There's nobody that I can compare myself to. Mm -hmm. God wasn't able to look at him and say, hey, you see that mountain? The mountain that you're standing on right now, how big and awesome and vast and it's, it's a gorgeous mountain, right? Well, I, I'm like that mountain. Yeah. Or I'm like an egg. I'm like an egg. I've got a I yolk like and white and a shell. Yeah, yeah. yeah he could, a, <laughs> if, if there was ever a time for the Trinity to be completely explained and for us to get everything, it's like right now, it's, yeah. it's in your name. Yeah. But he said, I am who I am. I'm uncomparable. I'm unrivaled. I'm, I'm matchless. I'm different. There's nobody like me. I am who I am. And go ahead and tell everybody that I am sent you. Yep. So it kind of uh, catapults us into John 8. So Sorry, sorry. I, I, I keep interrupting you, but... It's okay. I want to pause there for a minute because you said God understands the limits of our, of our understanding, and so he's not comparing himself to anybody. But, but have you ever tried to explain a difficult concept to a toddler before, mm. right? Where you have to, you have to just get down on their level. You have to like bring your understanding of this big concept down to a level that they can comprehend. Right. Okay, that's you with your toddler, mm. human to human. Think about God, <laughs> how he has to. Here, here's a here's a word that is used often in theology when talking about God. He condescends himself yeah. down to our level. He does not have to. He accommodates. When, when my daughter asks me to explain big concepts sometimes, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't even know how to do that. But I love her enough to try to bring that down to her understanding. Yeah. We cannot understand God, and yet he has condescended himself to help us to understand him. The greatest example of that is when Jesus, the Son, condescended himself, humbled himself, to the point of taking on human flesh and coming to earth to reveal the Father to us and accomplish the work of salvation. So, so the fact that we can talk about this shows just how much God loves us and that mm. He would condescend to reveal Himself to us. Amen. That is, that, that is really good. So um, we're going to read this once again. This is a nice hunk of Scripture, but I, I, I really want to do this 
uh, scripture justice, and I don't want to just breeze past it, and I really want to get it within its context. I want you all to hear the Word of God rather than just us paraphrase it. So we're going to read a lot here, and once again, interrupt me. Interrupt me and say, oh, this is a really important point. Jump in. We're just. I'll having... interrupt you, not the Scripture. That. Oh, sweet. Um, <laughs> verse 39. I'm just going to read another mother Bible then just to shut him up. So John chapter 8, starting in verse 39. Um, well, I guess we should go up just a little bit, right? Uh Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you can say you will become free? This is really important bookends to um, the this entire story because their their entire argument is hinged on, yeah, we're descendants of Abraham. How can you say that um, that you're going to set us free when we've never been enslaved? Which is, I, I don't understand what book they were. What, what were they getting at? What Old Testament <laughs> book were they reading? Like, what was their Bible, yo? Like, they're, read they're Judges. Essentially, they're essentially slaves to Rome right now. They were slaves to Rome. <laughs> they had the, the, Rome's boot was on their face. Like, I don't understand any anything about that statement. Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Wow. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. He's like, yeah, I get that. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Mm. And uh oh, there's a little, there's, there's a couple wires that aren't clicking in their heads right now. They're like, wait a second. He just made, he made distinctions about fathers. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham that, that he did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works that your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So once again, they just weren't understanding the fact that, hey, we, we, we don't have multiple fathers. We weren't born of sexual immorality. Abraham's our father. Jesus is our father. Even I mean, I mean God is our father is, there, is what they're saying. Like, uh, I don't understand what you're getting at. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father... You would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. I think that is such an important theological um, uh, verse. You, you just can't bear to understand and to truly hear what I'm saying right now. Uh, we won't camp there. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. Boom. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Who can stand and testify against me right now? Who can 
who, who can accuse me and convict me of even one single sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So we're going to keep reading here, but Kenny, jump in real quick. Talk about the significance of, hey, you're not of God. You're literally a child of Satan. Well, I mean, once again, he is, he's making a distinction here between fathers, like you were saying. The Jews often would, would say, you know, we have God as our father, but they didn't know the person of the father, right? They didn't understand the Trinity. They didn't understand the person of the father all throughout the Old Testament. They would, they would have described God as a father, as father to his children, but they didn't understand the person of the father. And Jesus is setting up this distinction to, he's going a lot of places with this, but he's really saying, you're, you're of your father, the devil, and when I say that God is my father, I'm not saying it in the sense that you're saying it. I am, I am, I am the son of the father. I, I am one with the father is really where he's going with this ultimately, but he's even going to a more specific place. Um, there's just so much here. I'm, I'm trying to condense it all, but I understand where you're going with this, so keep yeah. reading. All right, and then in verse 48, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? I just love that. Like he, They listen to everything that he says and says, all right, Jesus, can I ask you a question? Can we just conclude that you're you know, of Satan? Like, what? Jesus answered, I mean, well, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Um, don't, don't, don't skip past that. God is jealous for his glory, yet Jesus is saying that God the Father seeks my glory. If, if Jesus uh, was anything less than God, that would be blasphemous. Verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Yeah, okay, now we know it. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Here's the question. Here's the t they're, they're setting it up. Are you actually saying that you're better than Abraham? Who are you claiming to be, Jesus? Verse 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. Your God brings me glory, is what he's saying here. But, verse 55, you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Uh-oh. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Every single Jew in that audience would have thought back to Exodus 3.14 in that moment. They all knew. Every single one. Um, because that, Jesus is saying what God said to Moses in the burning bush. I am who I am. I am. He, he doesn't say... I was born before Abraham. 
He, does, he doesn't say, I existed. I existed in Abraham's time, and now I'm back necessarily. He's saying more than that. He's saying, before Abraham was, before the world was, before anything was, I am. The same statement that the angel of the Lord, Yahweh, made from the burning bush to Moses in Exodus 3.14. Before Abraham was, I am. This is this is Jesus saying, I am God. This is him saying, I am God. So now you can say, I don't believe Jesus is God. You can say, I don't, you know, he's a, he's a liar. Whatever you want to claim about him. But to say that Jesus never claimed that he was God is to be ignorant of the scriptures. There is no clearer statement. That's why literally the moment he said that, they picked up stones to throw at him because he claimed to be God. Right. The... the um the, 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 the judgment, the consequence of blasphemy against God to the Jewish people was death, was stoning people. Um, so that, there, there's a historical context. Like You may ask, why did they pick up rocks? Because Jesus, they literally said, who do you make yourself out to be? Yep. Jesus says, I am. And they didn't, they didn't even debate about it in that no. moment. They didn't go, wait a minute, let's think about what he said. <laughs> they knew. Is he saying this? No, everybody there knew exactly what he was saying. And that's why they picked up stones to throw at him. Now, he escaped. He got away from them because it like wasn't his time. Was cool. I, those are the things I want to see. Like, how do you get away? <laughs> how sick is that? Because yeah. he's God. Yeah. So, and this is really important. Um, Jesus is God. But they're different persons. You may, you may be reading this. You may be listening to this. And you may be like, listen, guys, I understand what you're saying. But Jesus, throughout that entire discourse that you just read, was making a distinction. Mm-hmm. Saying, well... He's talking about my father. He's talking about God. We agree. Mm-hmm. This is the incomprehensibility of the Trinity. We, mm-hmm. we, we, we agree with you. Yes, mm-hmm. Jesus is God. God the Father is God. Mm-hmm. They're both 100% God, and they're different persons, but there's only one God. God the Father did not become incarnate. Mm. God the Son became incarnate. Right. Right? So there is a distinction. There's a, there's a diagram of the Trinity that we have on our chalkboards in our church right now that shows this. You have God in the center— and out from that, you have the Father, the Son, the Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and you take that all the way through, right? They are, they are distinct persons, yet one being. Uh, and so Jesus, and Jesus is making that distinction here. Again, he's not saying, I am the Father. He's not, he's not saying we're the same person. He's making a distinction. He was sent, b- sent by the Father. He comes from the Father, and yet he says, I am God, just as the Father is God. Before Abraham was, I am. Nobody can make that statement. Nobody can say, I am, except Yahweh. That's it. No, no one else can make that statement except Yahweh. And so Jesus is claiming to be God here, yet distinguishing himself from the Father and ultimately from the Spirit as well. Right. So Jesus is God. At the end, at the end of uh, proper interpretation, at the end of studying the Scriptures, and better yet, at the end of reading the Scriptures. I, I, I don't argue, neither does Kenny, that you have to be a scholar in order to get what we're saying right now, because we ain't no scholars, you know? We're reading the Bible to you, and we're connecting. I'm hoping that we're trying to connect the dots for you to say, "Yo, if you just read the Bible plain as is, you're gonna you're gonna come out with, hey, hey, this guy says he's God.' Yeah. 
and if and if we and, and if we believe in the sufficiency, the inerrancy, the in the authority of the scriptures, we're going to trust the fact that Jesus is God. And now we're going to run a little long. We have to talk about God, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Do we have to? I mean, I was going to say he's kind of important and awesome, right? Oh man, I had so many places I wanted to go with that, but you seem to you seem to be on a roll here. So set up the conversation on the spirit for us, and we'll we'll do it. So I think that we kind of have to start. Um, there's a couple different places to start. Yeah, I'm going to go to First Corinthians because I have this pulled up right now, and then I'll get to the next part of it. First Corinthians uh, chapter two, starting in verse six. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, by the way, Jesus. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Um, Fun fact that it's not talking about heaven. You can't take that verse out of context and just talk about heaven. It's talking about the gospel and the glorious truths of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Uh, Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Here it is. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Question mark. But we have the mind of Christ. This is really deep and fascinating, but what we see is that the Spirit of God is our teacher. He is our teacher. This is an attribute. He is our helper, which we'll get to that in a second. But we see a distinction here between God, the Father, and His Spirit. Because who can understand? Who can comprehend the mind of God? That's actually a doxology, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, the riches and the depths of God. Who, who, who has been His counselor? Who can teach Him things? Mm-hmm. Well, we have explicitly here that God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, actually can comprehend the thoughts of God because he is one with God, yet he's separate because we, as Christians, it says now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Mm -hmm. So we've literally received the Spirit of God, and he who can comprehend God, the Father, teaches us Yep. what God's mind is like, therefore we have the mind of God. Yep. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, and the Spirit the Spirit shows up early in the Scriptures. matter of fact, the first page of the Scriptures, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters of creation, and we see the Spirit show up 
even more clearly in the Old Testament uh, than than most of us like to remember or think about. And then we see Jesus in John, cha- again, John chapters 14 through 16, Jesus gives a dissertation on the Trinity in many ways, and he talks a lot about the Spirit. And so who is the Holy Spirit? The Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son, um, and he is God, once again. Uh, maybe the clearest, if you're looking for a verse that says the Holy Spirit is God, the clearest verse you can go to, by the way, is in Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira uh, withheld money and they lied about it, right? They, they said, we sold our property and we gave all the money and they didn't. They, they withheld money. And Peter says, Why? Like, you didn't lie to men, you lied to God. But he said just a few verses earlier, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And then he, and then he goes on and says, you lied to God. So he, Peter very clearly, unquestionably says, the Holy Spirit is God in that passage. Um, and then all passages like this, you can't, you can't walk away from a passage like this and think, that the Holy Spirit is not a distinct person, and you can't walk away from a passage like this and say the Holy Spirit is not also God, right? Right. So both of those things. Absolutely. So uh, what uh, Kenny was just referring to there is uh, John chapter 15 specifically, um, when he's talking about uh, how the persecution of the world is going to come amongst Christians. Um and he says, if the, starting in verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. God the Father sent Christ, God the Son. If I had not come and spoken to you, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. Once again, there's a complete connection there. People who say, yeah, Jesus is a good dude, but I'm just a believer of God. You actually hate God because you reject Christ. If I had not done uh, among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now that they have seen and hated both me and my Father, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled, they hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, what? Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Yeah. Who's the helper, Kenny? The helper is the Spirit. Uh, Jesus says that. I don't have the reference right off the top of my head, but he says that very clearly in that John uh, discourse where he says the helper, which is the the Spirit. Actually, that's what that's what he's saying right there. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I got so many things in my head. There's so much. There's so much (laughs) this conversation. I'm I'm missing those kind of things. But yeah, I mean, this is like. In, in my opinion, and we've said this already, you can't walk away from the Scriptures and accurately reading the Scriptures and say that the Scripture does not declare the Trinity. No. You simply, there's too much theological gymnastics that have to be done mm-hmm. to try to say that these things are not what's written in the Scriptures, yeah. okay? Now, again, you can say, I don't believe it. You can say, I reject it all you want, but you cannot, in my opinion, you cannot honestly walk away from the Scriptures and say that these things are not so. Um and 
so it was so interesting. I think we've talked about this before when we had uh, had the opportunity to have a conversation with two Mormon missionaries, and we talked so much about these things, right? Yeah, where Trinity. we where we talked about the Trinity because because you can't. I mean, they had to constantly go back to in order to to reject the Trinity and say that Jesus is not God. They had to go back to their teachings and their scriptures. And we kept saying to them, no, you've got to go to the scripture. You've got to go to the Bible. Yep. Like, show us from the Bible, because Mormons would say they believe that the Bible is the word yep. of God. Yep. So so then if that's true, show us from the Bible where Jesus is not God. Right. And they, they can't do it. Right. They, they had to continuously go... Right. They had to continuously go back to their scriptures. And right. so you cannot, you cannot, from a simple reading of the Bible... Come away and say, "Ah, oh, the Trinity's just not a thing. It just doesn't. It doesn't make sense. That's not what the Bible is saying." No, that is what the Bible is saying. You either believe it or you reject it. Right. We and and here's a, an important component that we have to talk about: um, God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. They're all God. Um, there's only one God. Yet He's three persons. Um, yet there's roles, and mm-hmm. this is something that people have a hard time with. Um, because we literally see God the Father sent God the Son. Mm-hmm. We, we saw that in the scripture we just read. And then uh, God the Son sends God the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the helper there, I just love this, it's paraclesis. Uh, it, 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 it's, it, it's an advocate. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, it's, I'm going to send you the helper, mm-hmm. the, the one who will exhort and teach, the yep. teacher. I mean, it, it, he, he has an amazing role and title in this. Nonetheless, there there are roles within the the Trinity. Yep. Right. Explain yep. the roles. Uh, just before I do that, even just simply quickly stating, even Jesus saying, "It's better that I go so that I can send the Spirit." Um, if the Spirit is not God, Jesus can't say that. Mm. Amen. Period. He he cannot say it's better that I go so that I can send the Spirit if the Spirit is not fully God. Right. Because God in the flesh is with you. If he leaves, you don't, there's nothing better than that, except if God comes again and dwells in us because through the Spirit. Jesus, at that time, this is a different conversation, Jesus is 100% man. Right. When, he, when we're reading him in the scriptures right here, these stories, the gospel, Jesus Christ was 100% man and 100% God. Right. So he's not one either or, he's 100% both, right? Right. So within those natural limitations of only being able to be at one place at one time, right? Mm-hmm. He understood, I got to go. Yeah. So that Because he Holy chose Spirit, to humble himself in that way. Yeah, He's he not chose to humble God. himself yeah. literally by becoming 100% man. So he can only be at one place at one time, right? Apart from when he was walking through walls and stuff like that. That's cool. But when he left, he said, I know that God the Holy Spirit is going to come and is going to be able to indwell inside of every single Christian across the entire world. Yep. So he can be with yep. everybody. Yep. But yeah, so the roles within the Trinitarian... Yep. Sorry. Head. So that, that was a sidetrack that I thought was important too. It is um, good. That's great. So the roles within the Trinity, this is important, an important conversation because this is, this is how we distinguish the persons of the Trinity. People say, okay... Why, why, isn't, why can't you just say that sometimes God expresses himself as the Father, sometimes he expresses himself as the Son? It's because within the Trinity, you have this relationship among the persons of the Trinity. Right. And the, the, the reason we know that Jesus the Son is the Son is because he's the Son of the Father. Right. The reason we know that the Spirit is the Spirit is because he's sent by the Father and the Son, okay? I don't know Jesus as the Son because I've experienced him as the Son, 
I know that he's the son because he's revealed himself in that way, and he is, re- he is revealed to us as the son of the Father, okay? So this is important. We know the Trinity not because of our experience of God, but because of how God has revealed himself, and he has revealed himself in these roles and these persons, if you will. Um, and so now what you have to be careful of when you talk about roles, though, is, to, is, to, is the doctrine of and the heresy of modalism, of saying, okay, you have this mode of God, this role of God who's the Son, right? So God the Father was in heaven, and then he decided to turn into the role or the mode of the Son and come to earth. No, no, no. Still the Father, still the Son, still the Spirit eternally existing in those three persons, right? right? So yes, God the Son became incarnate. God the Father did not become incarnate. God the Son did, yet... The Father and the Spirit were at work in the Incarnation as well. They're united in that work. Even though the Son has that unique role in becoming incarnate, yet the Father and the Spirit are still involved in that because the one God is making this work happen. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. <laughs> no, it does. It yeah. does. It's, um, so Jesus is not less. Right. The Holy Spirit's not less significant than yep. Jesus and so on and so forth. And God the Father's not less, though he's not quote-unquote, more important and more God, if you will, than God the Son. But there are there's this perfect relationship between the roles where they humbly yep. um, actually submit themselves under one another. God the Son is humbly, perfectly submiss- submitting himself under God the Father, whereas the Holy Spirit also submits himself under God the Son, yet they're all completely equally God. Ooh. You're getting into a fun topic there. Um, that's actually, oh man, we can't, we can't get into that. We can't get into it because we don't have time. Uh, but the whole submission of the son, we have to be very careful with that. And this is something I have learned recently. Um, so I'm speaking from still in the midst of learning this, not having this all comprehended and figured out, but Jesus, there are a lot of people who teach that from eternity past, the son has been in submission to the father. Okay, oh, I see what you're saying. That's the difficult doctrine. That yeah. this, and this is where you can get into those heresies that the Son is less than the Father. Right. Because they say, okay, He's the Son, and you got the Father who's greater than the Son. No, no, no. There's that's no, not what we're saying. There's no difference here. Here's the passage that's important, and here's why language is important. Uh, you know this passage, but maybe you haven't thought about it in this way. Philippians 2. Mm. Though He was in the form of God, Jesus... He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He is equal with God. Equality with God. He is equal with God. Yes. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. It was in the incarnation that he took the form of a servant and became in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so here's, here's what's important. Again, you might not think it is, but it leads to dangerous places. You're right. Do not say that, and I know what we're trying to say, but I've tried to avoid saying that the Son is in submission to the Father, because that's not a word that Scripture uses. Scripture says he became, he, he took on the form of a servant and became obedient to the point of death right. in his incarnation, in the work of salvation. But then Philippians goes on, Paul goes on and says, um, and, and therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So it's in the incarnation. And I'm not saying it's wrong to say he submitted to the Father in that, because he did. But I think we got to be careful um, when we say that, because we can give the indication that the Son is less than the Father. But he, the Son, chose by his own will, the will of God, yeah. this one will of God, he chose to humble himself and become obedient to the point of death. Um, a lot of theological 
mumbo jumbo, but so important. Well, no, it's not. It's not mumbo jumbo. It's important because this this just goes to prove how there's no hard and fast rule. Mm-hmm. We can't just sit here and say, "Hey, this is it," because Jesus, God the Son, did submit to God the Father. Right. It's just it, it's riddled throughout the Gospels, right? But but is he? Has he from eternity past right. been submissive and lesser than? No, right. absolutely not. He's not by his nature in submission he, to the Father. No. Right. It's not true. That's, exactly. That is a work of his. And that's something that he did yes. in his incarnation. Yes. So we see this both and. Yep. Once again, it's like, it's not an either or. Yep. It's not a like, hey, that just didn't happen. No, it's, we see it in the text, yet it's so incomprehensible. Yep. How God, the Son, why, why do you have to do that? Why? Why did he not know the time and the hour yep. at that proper time of the end of times and all that stuff? Like, I, I wish that it would just be written out so there would be no more like arguments over eschatology. You know what I'm saying? Like, but but none of us. We'll know. get into that. We'll get into that. <laughs> but none of us know. <laughs> but but what but what we see is this uh be, this the beauty and and people often talk about it in marriage and they compare it with marriage. We're all co-equals. Of, uh, we're, we're co-heirs of the same inheritance of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, within marriage, we're actually one flesh. Right. There is no male. There is no female. There, there are only Christians, if you will. Yet there's still roles. Yep. Yet there are still roles within marriage. Yep. Uh, the husband has the—he's he, he's the leader of the household, and the wife is called to submit. Yet she's completely equal. Yep. So, yep. There, so there's so many various roles and connections that we can make here, but— your distinction and your clarification is helpful. Okay, so we, we got to start wrapping up. Let me, let me recommend something on that that I just said, and I'll try to put this in the show notes, uh, the description, if you will. Uh, Matthew Barrett, a guy by the name of Matthew Barrett, wrote a book called Simply Trinity, mm-hmm. where he fleshes that concept out, the, this, this submission of the Son to the Father, and yeah. gives you a biblical perspective of that. Um, he actually, uh, he writes some good stuff. He writes some good stuff. I've really started to enjoy him. He has an, he has a podcast called the Credo podcast where he dives into a lot of the Trinity stuff as well. Yeah. Um, really, really good, really deep. Um, but really good anyway, simply Trinity by Matthew Barrett, flesh that out. That's a great, great book, great resource. Um, any final thoughts and you're not good at succinct thoughts. So give me like 30 seconds here. All right. I'm no, <laughs> just new. No. So <clears throat> You, you 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 already hit on this very briefly. You alluded to it earlier, but I just want it to be really concrete. The um, because one thing about Matthew Barrett, um, I, I I like. I'm literally reading a book. I just read a book from him. I, I really like his stuff. Um, but there are people from more reformed circles and backgrounds mm-hmm. who have a bad tendency, and he's one of them, to lean too much on the creeds. And they lean too much on it because, uh, and, and, and though they would say very, tr- very simply, and they would be very exclusive about it, and they would be explicit and say, "Hey, um, it, it, the creeds hold no authority." Mm-hmm. But when you refer to them, and when you continue to appeal to an authority, if you will, right. your 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 application and what you're doing reveals yeah. a lot. So all I'm yeah. all, all we're saying, with all that be, to be said. I, I, I bring up that point just to say that the Trinity is not a doctrine that was given to us by a creed. Right. It's not a doctrine that a church council created, mm-hmm. and because that is a huge one. I mean, we mm-hmm. didn't even talk about this, and we have to. Trinity, the word the Trinity is not mm-hmm. in the Bible. Right. 
It's absolutely not. And, right. and that's where people say a church council created this doctrine mm-hmm. and it's made up by man. It's right. not biblical. No, right. it's as we've tried to prove our entire argument, this entire podcast is if you interpret the Bible, if you read the text and exegete it, which just means pulling out the meaning of the text. Yep. If you pull out the correct meaning, you're going to see and be confronted with the fact that there's one God, yep. God the Father, yep. yet there's God the Son, yep. yet there's God the Holy Spirit. And when we have these truths revealed to us in the Scriptures, and the Scriptures are our authority alone, then, yeah, it, it's, it, we can make up words all day for the, yep. for the clarity of language just yep. to say, hey, there's, there's only one God, yet He's three persons. Trinity. That sounds right. good. We just made up a name. Yep. It could have been Baloney Head. And that could and, not have been Baloney Head. I like Baloney. It could not have been Baloney Head. <laughs> okay. Whatever the name that they decided to attach to this doctrine would have worked. And we just rolled with Trinity, but our authority does not come from church councils. The doctrine has not been created by church councils. It's not of the church fathers. It has nothing to do with the authority of creeds. It's simply the authority of the scriptures yeah. alone. Yeah, and that's that's a good point. Um, final thought from me is I would say, on that note, if there are people coming to you and say the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity, um, show them where the Bible does teach the Trinity. We've given you some places to go. And then ask them a simple question. You show me where the Bible teaches that God is not triune. Right. Like, show me where the Bible teaches that God is not triune. And they'll cherry-pick verses. They'll... They'll See, there's say, only one God. Yeah, See, they'll say Exodus three fourteen. You know, I am who I am. I'm I'm one. Isaiah, Isaiah forty two, in Isaiah chapter forty two. You know, I'm the Lord. There is no other. Mm-hmm. All those all those verses. But again, Amen. Go to all of Scripture <laughs> and yeah. say Jesus quoted some of these same things, and Jesus said, "I am," just as God said that we in gotta harmonize Exodus. It. Yeah, you can't just cherry pick verses. Show from the totality of Scripture um, where these things are. Go to Matthew 28, the name of the Father, the I Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, start there. How do you explain that? Uh, and so that's a, that, a lot of times opponents of the Trinity will try to put the burden of proof on us who believe the Trinity. And, and this might sound like, an, of course I would say this, but in my opinion, the burden of proof is on those who try to reject the Trinity. Right. Um, because it's, it, is, it is clearly stated in Scripture. Um, you can reject it, right? I, you can say, I don't, I don't believe this, but yeah. you can't say the Bible doesn't teach it, in my opinion. So nope. we have gone way over time. Uh, this is, by the way, I said this to my church, and I'll say it to you as well. This is a preface to the introduction of the Trinity. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is like the this is like the the page of the book where it says, you know, I dedicate this book to so and so, and then you got the rest of the book. Um, we got eternity <laughs> yeah, yeah. to try and wrap our brain around yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so again, we hope this is helpful. Difficult doctrine, um, but beautiful doctrine, and worth pursuing, worth knowing. Uh, this is the kickoff to season three. This is, we're just getting started because yeah. now we're going to get into fun stuff. What do we want to do next time? Do we want to say it or do you want to? We'll pick it and we'll come back. So, just to, if you guys want to email us and let us know, um, but these are some different things that we're talking through angelology, the study of angels, demonology, the study of demons, the study of heaven, the study of hell. Uh, we're talking about eschatology, the study of the last times, all the yep. different views. So yep. these are all the different stuff we're talking about. If you're like, yo, I really want this one now, yep. hit us up. Yep. I would say that almost everything we're going to talk about in this series, um, there, are, there, there are Christian, or sorry, there are people who claim to be Christians. Now, there's this stream of Christianity, and it's not true Christianity, that are saying, 
all of these things are not true. You've been taught all these things all your life, but they're not true. They're not real. A lot of this stuff, um, not all of it, but the Trinity is one of them. Heaven and hell is, is, is part of that. Deconstruction. Things that we'll talk about in eschatology. Yeah, yeah um, progressive Christianity is, is what it's often called, yeah. um, but there's other people that would not label themselves that. They would call themselves spiritual, uh, spiritual but not religious is what I've heard. Spiritually discerned, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're spiritual but not really. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, to be rude or, or insulting. There's genuine people. There's people I know and love that are in this camp, and, it, and it's difficult. Um, but these are doctrines that maybe you're having these conversations. You've got family members and friends who are saying to you, that's not real. You've just mm. been taught that your whole life. Travis just said it. These, these old church fathers, they made up these doctrines and they presented them to you. We're going to dive in and show you from the word where these things actually come from. They did not come from St. Augustine. They did not come from Irenaeus and all the church fathers. Those guys simply read the scriptures and said, this is what the scripture is saying. That's all they did. Yeah. So, all right. Wow. That was good. That might be our longest episode. Yeah. Well, it's eternity, so. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew it would take a long time to talk about the Trinity? All right. That was fun, guys. Thanks for listening, as always. Appreciate you guys. And uh, we'll be back, Lord willing, by the time that season three drops. We're recording this really early on so we can bank up a few episodes and release them. So, Lord willing, next week. Next week. Another episode will drop. You guys are going to be listening. Yeah. Love you guys. Yeah. Peace. Peace.